RJ Baxter with Real Estate Agent Superstars. I'm your host for today's show, and we have a special guest for us today, Jeff Plaus, owner broker of Hatch Realty in Denver, Colorado, one of the largest boutique real estate agencies in the Denver area. He's going to share with us some of his wisdom going into 2023 on uh, how he's operating his business and some tips for success. So uh, welcome to the show, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. How long have you been in real estate? So it's coming up on about uh, 23, uh, just about 20 years or so. Um, Overall, I start, I have a double degree in finance and real estate. Um, And then uh, I worked for an ultra custom builder in Chicago, uh, doing five to $8 million houses before the crash. Um, on-site work. Then I worked for Centex Homes, interned there and got my first job out of college with Centex Homes. I was the only salesperson in Centex Denver that was on salary, not uh, commission because they put me in Northern okay. City uh, at the perfect time when there was no way to sell a house out there. Uh, when my best competition were bankrupts- bankruptcies and things like that around that okay. area. Yeah. Um, and then uh, my former managing broker, Lydia Lynn at One Realty, um, I met her randomly and she told me I'd be a good agent. I told her I didn't like agents. I thought they were cheesy. And um, <laughs> she said, no, 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 give it a shot. And I did. And within a few years, I became the top agent in her office. And as things progressed, I became one of the top agents in the metro area. And I just keep pushing it. And then in 2020, I opened up... Uh, Hatch Realty, my own my own brand. Awesome. So <laughs> yeah, perfect timing on that. Yeah. For sure. Why did you decide to open your own agency? Well, to me, it was sort of uh I w- I was kind of talking with a lot of the different larger brokerages in town. And I think there's a lot of companies that are doing really good things, but I think there's a lot of other, there are certain large brokerages that I think aren't getting it quite right. They're really trying to sell you on joining their brokerage because they'll get you more business and they have all this technology and all this stuff, but nothing in what they discuss really talks about how they'll help the client better. It's it's all about making you more money, but they don't really talk a lot about how to make your client more money or save them money or... Um, relate to them better for, you know, uh, because this is the biggest purchase anyone will ever make or sell. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted it, I wanted a situation where it didn't really feel like you were cattle or a number in a system. I wanted something where it took it back to sort of the old school meaning of boutique, which didn't just mean small. It meant bespoke and custom and I just felt that that seemed to be lacking in a lot of the larger companies out there. And so I took a complete left turn when everyone else was turning right and decided to open a brokerage like this and to purposely keep it small. I've made a conscious effort that we will never become one of the massive brokerages out there because we're trying to foster relationships both between our clients and our agents so that everybody um, kind of lives in harmony and so that we're serving everyone um, to the best of our abilities. 
and business comes from that. No technology yeah. is going to boost your numbers that much. Being good to people will. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me more about your client experience that you've developed with Hatch Realty. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, instead of automated systems, we we do everything more manually, more analog. Lots of phone calls, um, texts when people want them. But, um, you know, I one of the weird things about me is that I've never hired an assistant and people think I'm insane because I do over 60 million a year in sales, but I've never hired an assistant. Um, I don't even have a real transaction coordinator because, uh, well, partially because I'm a control freak, but partially because I want to touch every single aspect of um, the experience for my client. Um, I want to be the only one they're talking to. I always liken it to when I'm meeting with a client for the first time, if you're hiring a financial advisor and you you establish this really deep relationship with, with that advisor, and then you say, great, you know what? I really want to work with you. And they say, wonderful. Here's Bill. Bill's going to take you the rest of the way. He'll be doing all your trades for you. You're like, wait a minute, who's Bill? Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted it to be that you're dealing with one person at a time. That's it. Let's see. So whenever I work with a client, even if there's other things going on in the background, I'm the only person they interact with, start to finish. That's awesome. Do you think that's been one of your keys to success? Yeah, I think that. And I mean, honesty, you know, again, there are a lot of agents. This is a big industry and there's a lot of agents that are definitely working for that paycheck. I'm lucky to not be in that position. Um, and you know, even when I was though, when I, when I go into a home with a client, if we're looking at houses, I'm honest from the start, a lot of agents, if they see someone and I don't want to, I'm not trying to talk poorly of other agents, but you see this happen. They see someone getting excited about a house. They're cashing a check in their head and they become the cheerleader. And I, I always like to say, I am not a cheerleader agent. I am a devil's advocate agent. So, um, if I see a client getting excited, I like to ground them. I like to tell them what's negative about the house. I'll tell them what's positive too, but I really like to bring them down to earth because I think we've all had clients out there that walk into a home and it's shiny. It's just been remodeled. It's really beautiful inside, you know, sparkling. Mm -hmm. they go, I love this house. I must have this house. And you say, let's, let's take a step back here for a second and think about this. First of all, it's on a busy street. Second of all, you said you needed uh, four bedrooms. This is a one bedroom house, you know, like, you got to keep people grounded because right. when something's really shiny, you'll try to rationalize why you can make, how you can make that all work. And that's not necessarily the right way to go about it. I mean, at the end of the day, if the client wants to buy it, it's their money. I'm not going to stop them, but at least I sleep well at night knowing that I talked them through, you know, what the shortcomings are of that home. So that also, as I say to them, you know, I hope that you call me when you're ready to sell it. And I don't want you to buy something now that I'll have to sell later that I didn't think was good. <laughs> so right, right. You know, try to have you it. have you found that most everybody appreciates that approach, or have some people fired you because you're maybe too honest or too um, you know, you know I, too transparent I, with things? I have I have had some clients that you know thought it went a little. I had one client where. Um, I told him when I thought of a house, this was actually relatively recently. It's kind of the only time it ever happened. And 
He just said, you know, I need something fast. I don't care. And I wanted, you know, I don't really care what you think. And I was like, okay. And we didn't end up working together and that's fine. You know, if he needed rah-rah cheerleader person to talk him into buying a house that he'll regret later, go forth. Um, Right, right. But I just, you know, again, I'm not going to talk them out of buying the house. I just want someone to be realistic about the expectations, to understand what they're getting themselves into. Um, I mean, another good, a real world example of this that I use a lot is um, I had a, a client, we'd been looking for condos for a long, long time. She walked into, we walked into a new building, a new condo building. This is well, like 10 years ago or so. And she fell in love with the unit. She's like, this is it. It's in my price range. It's beautiful. It's new. It's shiny. It's got views, all this stuff. And I'm not the tallest guy. I'm maybe five foot four. She was like five foot seven, eight. I said, go stand in that corner and I'll stand in this corner. She did. And I said, what do you notice? And she said, well, we're about the same height now. And I said, yeah, this is a concrete built building. Hmm. That's not good. And she said, but I love this, this unit I have to have. And I just said, please, this was one of the times where I kind of begged her. I said, don't buy this unit. You're going to regret it. This, there's something not right about this building. And luckily she didn't. And um, that building ended up going into a massive lawsuit uh, against the builder. There were major settlements, all that stuff. In the meantime, it meant that the units were kind of frozen for being um, for resales um, mm. Even now, those units haven't fully recovered in price because the building was kind of that messed up. Instead, she bought a condo in the secondary market, um, similar price. She kept it for two, three years, sold it and made $100,000, $150,000 um, and bought something else that she also has made a lot of money on um, that she still owns. So, you know, I think that and and because of that, she's referred me to friends and family and things like that. And if I'd put her in a building that was garbage, I wouldn't have felt good about it. Yeah, yeah. That's a great story. So what do you do for your clients that you, you mentioned she was, she's referred a lot of people? What do you do to stay in touch with your clients and to continue to foster those relationships? Yeah, I I, uh, I admit it's one of my weaker points is staying in touch with my clients all the time. I I really um, I preach it more and more to my other agents and and going to start working on more long term events. I tried to for the longest time try to keep it more um, natural. You know, uh, when you're in the area, uh-huh. giving them a call or inviting them to lunch. But at this point, I've I've been licensed since 2008, and I've you know, had sometimes a hundred plus clients per year kind of gets hard to naturally talk to everybody. It's a lot of people on a regular yeah. basis. So, um, working on that a little bit more and more, because I think it's a big part of, um, how my business should, uh, continue forward and, you know, staying in touch with these people is important. I, at the same time, I also try to be very careful about not going down the path of over contact. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, sometimes you have a client that uses someone else when they sell or buy, and that always hurts, but it's going to happen over the years. But sure. I still, sometimes I want to try and straddle that line where I'm not sending them too much stuff or calling them too much or whatever, to the point where 
you know, it becomes annoying. Right. Uh, I, think, right. I like things to feel organic. Yeah, totally. What, so what's your sweet spot with contacts and how do you contact people now? Is it phone calls, emails, texts? Yeah, yeah a little bit of all, all of the above, depending on the situation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what do you have in store for 2023? What kind of goals do you have? What, where are you going with things? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we all know that there's the possibility that this might be a rougher year than we've seen in quite some time um, with higher interest rates. I think there's going to remain, I think inventory is going to remain quite low um, mm-hmm. through this year. I mean, think about it. All the people last year who were, who bought their house before the rates went up. I mean, even myself, I'm sitting on like a two and a quarter jumbo. Why would I move? Yeah. You know, it's going to make, you'd have to find the perfect home or have a big reason that you need to move to abandon that kind of rate. Right. So I think we'll have low inventory and I think buyers will be picky. Um, sometimes I like to say that it's sort of like we need to pretend that the last two years didn't happen and and hope that it's sort of like it was two years, you know, just before the COVID, before COVID kind of moved in. Um, mm-hmm. That we're, our clients don't have to be under the gun at all times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm hoping for, for some strong business this year, but I'm hoping that it can be in a, in a way where you actually feel like you're doing your job. I I think that there have been times where the market was just so crazy that it it, Mm -hmm. it was more like throwing darts at a board or doing things where certain clients, I would tell them like, this is, this is a big number for this house. And them saying, that's okay. I just want to win this house. And that's great. Mm -hmm. but I, I'd rather go back to the days where you feel like you're not just, you know, giving away your firstborn to get your client the house. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice that we have more of a rational market right now where buyers can, you know, take a little bit more time, look at the house, um, do things like inspections and appraisals, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean, God, I remember last year people, I never did it, but people offering like vacations of someone would take their house, their offer. I mean, just all these crazy yeah. things just didn't feel, they felt slimy and, and, and I don't even know yeah. if that was allowed, really legally allowed, but people were putting crazy things into offers and I'm glad we're not in that moment anymore, you know? Yeah. When I think what you said and to go to work again and actually do our jobs is so important and yeah, A lot of agents don't know how to do that. I mean, I think there's agents out there that started in 2020, for example, and that's all they knew. So yeah. I think, so, so were you going to say something else? Yeah, I, I was. I'm, I, I was going to say, like, I, I think a lot of us are thinking this too, is that we hope that there are a lot of agents who did get licensed thinking this was all easy money. And, you know, yep. I, I hope that some of those decide to go back to whatever job they had before that. So that agents who really know what they're doing, um, hopefully like myself can get out there and and help people instead of having, there's, there was a lot of harm being done when things were really crazy and everybody was an agent suddenly. Yeah, absolutely. So for agents that are struggling out there, what advice would you have for them right now on what to do to get things going? Yeah. I mean, Make sure that it's something you're actually passionate about. I mean, if you're in this because you think that it's good money, 
or that you're in it for the money, whatever. If, if money is a thing that is in your mind of why you're in real estate, it's probably not the business for you. Um, mm-hmm. You need to be passionate about what you're doing. You need to be passionate about helping people. You need to realize that these aren't widgets you're selling. These are houses. These are expensive assets. Um, it's not just convincing people to buy houses. I actually do. This is another little thing I always try to think, remind myself. Sales, the only side of this that is sales is when you're convincing a buyer or seller to work with you. The rest is at, is that you're an advocate, that you're their fiduciary. So sales is just when is just selling who you are and what you do to help get the client. Once they're your client, your job isn't to convince them to take an offer or to um, bid on a house. Your job is to help them get what they're looking for, whether it's when you're selling, helping them to make sure they're getting the most for their home and mm-hmm. um, not you know, doing frivolous repairs. Um, when you're helping them buy, you're making sure that they're staying within budget and that they're buying something that they're going to love, not something that'll just do for now. And so I always try to remind my agents mm-hmm. of that. Um, so I think that's a big thing that agents who are struggling need to remind themselves. Um, uh, if they're struggling and they have extra time, take classes um, and not just classes on <clears throat> how to sell or things like that. Learn what a house is. The amount of agents, even some very experienced agents who've called me and asked, what does asbestos look like? What does... Um, wow. You know, what does this, what's this crack mean in the wall? Different things. Now, again, legally, that's not our area of expertise. We aren't supposed to, we're supposed to um, have an engineer come in and all that kind of stuff. But you should be able to identify certain things if you're going to be in this industry. Um, mm-hmm. Again, yeah. you wouldn't want your, your financial advisor to not have an understanding of the bond market or the stock market. And is just trying to sell you on stuff that just wouldn't go well. So I think that, you know, be educated, be smart. <laughs> um, yeah. Understand what you're selling. Yeah. And I love you using that word of fiduciary. It's you're, yeah. you're representing them. People forget that there is a fiduciary duty involved here. Once you sign an agency. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had to, let's say you had zero business right now and you absolutely had to get a contract, a person under contract within the next 30 days yeah. to pay your bills, what would you do right now today? Um, I mean, again, it's that's a hard question to answer because I never think you should be have that mindset of, oh my God, I got to find a way to get someone under contract so I can pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Because then you're forcing it. A, your clients can tell when you're forcing it. B, you've now probably done something, talked to your client, and you've you've switched again from that fiduciary to a salesperson. And mm-hmm. I, you don't want to put yourself in that position. If you're really struggling for money, find another source until you can get a sale would be mm-hmm. my biggest one because I never think you should compromise your service yourself in any way, shape, or form for a quick sale. Because if you do that later down the road, it's it's going to bite you in the butt. You, you just don't yeah. want to be in that position where you have a black spot on your history. So I would rather 
someone go work at a, at a coffee shop until they can get the sale going, you know, get a part-time job, whatever you have to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, again, this is assuming that you're actually passionate about this work. Cause if you're not get out and go take a full-time job elsewhere, but if you are passionate, it takes a while. You can't be, um, you can't force it. It takes, I, I think I've always, I tell my agents, it takes like three years as a run-up before you start having real business. And that's grinding. Yes. That's getting yeah. your name out there. Everybody in Denver knows like 10 agents. If you ask them, you know, how do you get to be the number one person that they call? It's by establishing these relationships, going places, doing things, um, being involved, volunteering, mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. All the basics. I love that answer. That's great. Well, is there anything else you would like to share? Well, I think you kind of nailed one of the things that I like to think about a lot too, is that if you're not doing the basics, right, any other crazy marketing scheme or idea that you have is useless. Because if, if you're, if you're building, it's like building a house on a, on a broken or bad foundation, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love your uh, philosophy and mindset, and I think you have a lot of wisdom to share. So thank you for being a part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Always happy to talk. And I think uh, it hopefully comes across that I am passionate about this stuff. And I love the idea of what a home can be for whatever purpose you're buying it for. I just, I think it's such an important construct in our society. And so I really enjoy helping people. Yeah. Whether helping them buy or sell. And I love the construction side of it. And I think it, uh, this is a really important industry that we're all involved in. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this term. It's called the triad of awesomeness, where okay. if you can find something where you're not only passionate about it, you love doing it and you're good at it, but also makes you money. If you can yeah. fit all three of those things together, that's the awesome zone where all of us would love to be. So, and I can yeah. see that you're in that zone. I, I think there's a quote by Warren Buffett somewhere. It might be in his, his biography, but he kind of talks about the fact that if he, uh, if he, it's just an accident that he's really good at investments. It's, it was the thing that like just clicked for him. He's like, if I had been really passionate in history, I'd be the best history teacher there ever was. And so I think you just, you have to know, find your niche and you have to Love yep. what you do. Absolutely. It all comes together if you are passionate about it. Absolutely. Really passionate about it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Jeff. And um, thanks for all the listeners out there that are listening to the show today. My name is RJ Baxter. I am a lender with Intercap Lending, and we're known for high level of communication, following up with, with leads like Green on a Pickle and um, Closing on Time. So call me if you'd like to talk more about that and how we do it. And if you found value in this show, please share it with someone else. That's how the word gets out and consider leaving us a five-star review. And uh, thanks again, Jeff. Thanks for everyone listening and you all have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 